Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We want to welcome everybody that is joining us today, whether you're coming in on the Zoom app, which, by the way, you get at BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org, and click on the Tuesday program there, and just uh, watch the program, and it'll automatically download the Zoom app. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, we're glad you're joining us there as well. And we would want comments comments coming from all, everybody, not my phone though. <laughs> and uh, uh, type in your comments in the, in the text, the chat chat window or Q&A window on the Zoom app or in the comment box on the Facebook page. Really glad you're here today. Um, we're gonna have a, a very good discussion. And during the program, we'd like you to give us your comments, add to or, or give us your comments, ask a question. And we have some questions that came in during a week from viewers. And so we're going to address the first one. But before I reveal what the questions uh, are or were, let me bring in the panelists. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto. And uh, Jonathan, how are you doing? Good to see you with us today. Yeah, good to see you guys. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, but it's good to be back I'm, with you guys. I know. In fact, when you left, I don't think you had a beard. Didn't you shave it all off? I had a beard, but it was much smaller and less bushy. Yeah, so. see, now you go away for two weeks, going out in the wild, you come yeah. back. Good to That's have right. you back. Stephen, how are you doing? Good to see you. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, to see that, you. that beard is impressive. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> and uh, our program director, Scott Smeltzer. Good to see you, Scott. How are you doing? I was doing okay until everybody's phoning over Jonathan's beard. <laughs> My beard. My beard. Oh. Yeah, ours is a little too gray, Scott. You notice these younger, <laughs> these younger fellows here. Yeah, from a distance, it just looks like we have rabies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, let's get into the program today. We had a, a question that came in. I want to read it. Uh, uh, Eva had sent in a question, and she says, can you, can you explain the difference between James 2.24 quote, a person is justified by works. In Galatians 2.16, a person is not justified by the works of the law. It sounds like Paul and James are at opposite sides of the conversation here. Scott, what's going on? This is such an important question. I really appreciate uh, Eva asking this question, and we're going to be looking at it in detail. And to begin with, let's just read the two texts so that uh, we can see you know, where this is coming from. So up here on the screen, am I sharing screen yet or not? Not yet. And uh, while you're doing that, uh, Jonathan, are we on, on Facebook? Yeah, I'm checking it right now. It, it's showing okay. up on mine, but I'll make sure that it's working. Okay. All right. So somebody please read uh, verse 16 here of Galatians chapter 2. Okay, uh, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, uh, there's a number of passages in the New Testament that say some similar things to this. Guys, uh, call out some other biblical texts and quote them, or if you want to pull up the screen and show them what are some other texts that make this same point. We are not saved by our works. I'm thinking about Ephesians 2 uh, verses 8 and 9 where uh, 
Paul is just reviewing where every Christian starts from, that we're dead in our own works, our own trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but it's only by God's grace that we're saved. And he says specifically in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, another passage. Well, right there in Galatians in the next chapter, Paul says, now it is verse 11 of chapter three, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But hmm, wait a minute, I don't want to go there yet. The righteous will live by faith. All right. So there's Galatians, there's Ephesians, uh, Romans, very, very clear that no flesh is going to be justified by works of law. Um, And then also Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, uh, we've been saved by God's mercy, not by works of righteousness that we did ourselves, but by his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and, and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say we're justified by grace uh, and that Jesus is the Savior. Uh, also going back to the teaching of Jesus, when the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful and unrepentant, and Jesus basically said there's no way he's getting into the kingdom of heaven. He looked like a pretty good guy. And how many things did Jesus say that guy lacked? One thing. Just one thing is what he yeah. says. And when he walked away, Jesus basically said there's no way he's getting in. The apostles were astonished, Matthew 19, 26, and said, then who can be saved? And Jesus' first words were what? As man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Yeah, man can't save himself. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So that's Jesus and Paul on on the subject uh, of works. Now, Eva's question brings up James, James chapter 2. And in James chapter 2, we're going to read this. Um, Was not Abraham our father justified by what? Just that works. Yeah. Um, and it says, a per- so you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Dead. So that's what we're talking about today. And it's, it's really, really important. Uh, Martin Luther, by the way, rejected the book of James. Um, but what are some differences between the book of James and Paul's letters? They're generally coming from kind of a different perspective. I mean, Paul talks a whole lot about the sacrifice of Jesus and what that means, Jesus's death, his resurrection, and kind of how we think about God as a result of that, how we build a theology, what we believe and what that means. And Paul has a lot of practical things to say about that, but James is really focused on the practical side of things. I mean, almost his whole letter is filled with, yes. okay, here's how you live. It, here's what you need to do. Yes. Uh, it, it's hard to find a more practical letter in the New Testament about how you ought to behave than the book of James. So here's one way to think about the difference between James and, and Paul in their teaching. 
when you're reading Paul, how many times does he quote Jesus's teaching during his three years here? Not like a lot. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, mm -hmm. Romans. How much? What? What? What quotes? What references can you even think of from Paul about Jesus's verbal teaching? Not a whole lot. There's a few things. I mean, in First Corinthians seven, he'll say the Lord said this, and then there'll be other things where he says, "Well, yep. I, I say this other thing." Yep. Uh, in First Corinthians eleven, and he, he, he does about the. In 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about whenever the, the Lord on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and instituted the Lord's Supper. Right. And there he does quote Jesus, but it's what part of Jesus' life? The night before he dies, and he's talking about, you know, what he's going to do the next day on the cross, and, and they're commemorating that. So let's just get this frozen in our minds here. Paul focuses on Jesus and his atonement redemption, the cross and the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. That's where our salvation is. And that's right. James focuses on the verbal teachings of Jesus. Uh, there's about 20 times in the book of James where he echoes his brother's words. Uh, several of the Beatitudes are kind of repeated in, in the book of James. And in the book of James, let's back up and look at the context. Does James mention the resurrection. Not that I can remember off of the top of my head. Does James mention the death of Christ? Not that I can remember off the top of my head. <laughs> he does mention it, but not in an atonement focus. Look at it in James chapter 5. After saying, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. What did Jesus say about the wealthy? If you lay up your treasures on earth, what will and destroy? Moth, yeah, but see, again, echoing Jesus. Your gold and silver are rusted. Their rust shall be a testimony against you. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. Remember, Jesus said, don't lay up your treasure on earth. Lay up your treasure in heaven, echoing Jesus. Then he talks about how you've uh, underpaid your workers, refused to pay your workers, verse 4. You have lived delicately on the earth. You've taken your pleasure. You've nourished your heart to the day of slaughter, kind of like the rich fool building his barns and his barns. Now read verse 6. Since you have condemned Wait. and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. So this is... James's reference to the crucifixion is he focused here is his teaching focused on redemption in that uh, no it's a judgment yeah it's a judgment you killed Jesus which other passages you know condemned him for as well but James really focuses on the ethical practical teaching of Jesus and let's look at this here in James chapter 2 so let's start back or let's put it this way. So somebody could look at the text we've looked at so far and draw this conclusion. Well, when I read Paul, it's not by works. Therefore, I don't need to obey. When I read James, it's by works. And then somebody might conclude, so I can save myself by my own works. 
or somebody might conclude James shouldn't be in the Bible. And there's people that have had some of those ideas. Let's talk about why those ideas are wrong. Was Paul saying, when Paul is emphasizing that it's only through the blood of Christ and him risen as our uh, high priest, that that's only where we can be saved. That's where redemption and atonement is, not by our works. Is Paul saying you don't have to obey? No. In uh, Romans chapter six, he, he kind of almost, it seems like foresees that that could be a problem uh, right. that the Romans might, might come up with and say, thinking, oh, great, what we do doesn't matter. So then in Romans chapter six, he says in verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then talking about those who've been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, we've died to our sins. And later in the chapter, in verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness so very clearly paul says no it matters what you do you need to obey that's right he did i don't recall him saying to ananias no i don't have to do that ananias yeah and here in romans 6 sorry i gotta freeze up here for a second let's look here while paul is mostly focusing on salvation is in the cross he does say we have to obey so let's look at it right there jonathan read it let's see it with our eyes are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, there's two choices in verse 16. You're going to be a servant of someone or something. That's the point of Romans 6, second half. If you want to be free from righteousness, you're going to be a slave of what? Sin. Yeah. And if you want to be free from sin, you have to be a slave of Righteousness. righteousness is one of two choices and he introduces it with these two, two two choices do you not know that if you present your anyone yourself to anyone as obedient slaves you are the slaves of the one whom you obey and here's the two choices what's the first choice sin, sin. and what does that lead to death. death what's the second choice obedience, obedience. what does that lead to yeah righteousness, no righteousness. so that's it. Sin, death, or obedience, righteous. That, this is what James is saying. You have to be obedient. He's using different words. He's going to say justified by words, but let's, let's look at that in a second in context. But when we think that Paul, when Paul, here's another way to put it. What paid for your sins? The blood of Christ. Yes, when you are kind to somebody, does that pay for your sins? No. no. When you don't get drunk, when you don't commit adultery, does that pay for your sins? No. 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 That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying nothing atones for your sins, nothing pays for your sins but the blood of Christ. Um, Paul's not saying we don't have to obey because there you've got obedience. Now let's go back to James and ask this question. Is James saying we don't need mercy? Since he's focusing on the teachings and the commands of Jesus, is he saying we don't need mercy? No, he will say back in James chapter 2, um, in verses 12 and 13, uh, so speak and so act 
as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we go to the day of judgment, having not been merciful to others, how are we going to stand on the day of judgment? Yeah, this echoes the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Of course, the opposite is true later in the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Yes. And this is what Jesus taught. Now, see, this verse is right before when James starts talking about faith, not faith only, justification by works. Look at it. Look at the connection. He says, judgment is without mercy to him who is shown no mercy. I want you to think we're going to look at two times from the teachings of Jesus where people were not merciful, and we're going to see what happens to them at judgment. Example number one, the unmerciful servant. Jesus is teaching. Now, Jesus, the same Jesus that said, who can be saved? When he was asked that, he said, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But there are conditions. So, Two examples when people were unmerciful and what Jesus said about their final judgment. The unmerciful servant. Somebody tell us that story quickly. There was a man who uh, owed a just gigantic amount of money that he would never be able to pay back in his life to a king. And he begs for mercy after the king is going to throw him in jail, uh, take all that he had until he repaid everything. And the king has mercy on him, forgives the whole debt. And the servant goes away and he meets another servant that owes him a really insignificant amount of money that's easy to pay off. And he chokes the servant, you know, threatens the servant, makes the servant have to pay him back. Word gets back to the king and the king hears that the man who had been forgiven so much wouldn't even forgive a little amount. And so the king comes and revokes his forgiveness and yes. throws the servant in jail. Now, question number one. Did the, did the first servant, what was it he asked for? He asked for something he couldn't possibly do. He asked for time to pay it back. Yes. If you've ever run the numbers, it, 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 the weight of a day laborer, it, it's like 20,000 years it would take to pay back that debt. Yeah, it's, well, it's, 20, it's 21. So one talent is 20 years wages, and he owes him 10,000 talents. <sighs> So, yeah, it's like 200,000 years of he, work. That's us before God. Can we work enough to pay it off? No, 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 no you, you can't, Jonathan. Just really quickly, too, because we didn't reference it before the listeners. If, if you want to read that story and are unfamiliar with it, it's in the last few verses of Matthew 18. Right, right, right. So we're the fellow who could never pay the debt. He offered to, oh, let me pay it. You, you can't. You can't. The only way out for you is grace. And the king has grace. Cancels the debt instead of, okay, you got 20,000 years to work. Oh, then we need to calculate interest. No, it's, it's, uh, it's just grace. You're forgiven. But then he walks out and won't forgive a repayable debt. And through that fell in prison, when they tell the king what was the attitude of the king? He was angry, delivered him, as Jonathan talked about, to, to the tormentors until he should come up with the money. By the way, he's not going to come up with the money. And what was the last verse in Matthew 18? 
same so thing. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus put it in the positive in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful for they receive mercy. mercy. They will receive mercy. James puts it in the negative. Judgment is with no mercy to those who show no mercy. Show no mercy. Now, the second example is really going to help us a lot. There's another type of mercy that you can show to somebody. Sometimes it's forgiving them. Sometimes it's having pity on them in the situation they're in. Does Jesus describe what's going to happen at the judgment to people who did not have pity on other people? Yeah, over Matthew 25. Somebody take through that account. And that ties in exactly with what James is about to say. At the uh, end of Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 through the end, uh, he talks about the Son of Man coming in glory, all the nations gathered before him. And this is where we get the image of the sheep and the goats from. He puts the, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then he interrogates them. And um, he first says to the, uh, the righteous, to the sheep, he says, uh, come, come into the kingdom because you saw me hungry you gave me food i was thirsty you gave me drink and he says you know all these things and the righteous are like when did when did we do that <laughs> and he says when you did it to the least of these my brothers uh, you did it to me and then the opposite for those on the other side uh he says depart from me into the eternal fire you saw me hungry you didn't do anything thirsty i was a stranger you didn't do anything and they say, when did this happen? When did we see you like this? And he says, if you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And so the eternal resting place of these two types of people is decided on the basis of what they did. Right. Now, this is Jesus. This is Jesus who said, you can't save yourself. This is Jesus who said, I'm shedding my blood for the remission of sins. But right here, Jesus is not talking about atonement. Jesus is not talking about redemption. Right here, Jesus is talking about what? Obedience. Obedience, obligations. Jesus doesn't say to those on the right, come in to the kingdom prepared for you because I was hungry and you fed me, naked and you clothed me. And then to those on the left. Uh, come into the suburbs of heaven. You can live on a trailer, you know, <laughs> next to the mansion uh, because you believed in me, so you're saved, but you're not going to get as many jewels in your crown. No. Jesus absolutely makes clear they don't have eternal life at all. They are condemned. On the day of judgment, what good is the blood of Christ to them? So good. It, they, they, they rejected his example. Mm -hmm. Jesus requires us to obey. Some passages are about where redemption is. Some passages are about our obligations. We should never think that our obligations pay for our sins because they don't. But we should never think that because Jesus paid for our sins, we have no obligations. So with that in mind, let's look. This is about to start coming together. Uh, with that in mind, look at the two things he said to those on the left that are, were going to be echoed in James. The first one was, I was hungry, and what did you do? You gave me no food. And then the one middle of the next verse, I was naked, and you did not clothe me. 
Okay, now let's go back to James. James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment is without what? Mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Show no mercy. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not worked? Can that faith save him? No. What's his very first example? Brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? Was that a sheep or a goat? That's a goat. That's a goat. Is that person going to go into eternal life? No. According to James, can, uh, Luther can throw the book of James in the book of Tiber if he wants, but Matthew 25 is still there. Who, before James said this, who said you will not go into eternal life if you refuse yeah. to feed the, the, the hungry brother and clothe the naked brother? Jesus said it. That's Jesus. That same Jesus said, my blood is shed for sins. This doesn't pay for sins. This is required in submission to the Lord. So let's keep going. So James points out, what good does it do if you just say that, but you don't do anything? So faith, if it's by itself, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What's, what, what do we call the great chapter of faith in the Bible? Hebrews 11. Okay, let me see if I can quote it correctly. Tell me if I got it right or not. Faith is the... Substance. Of things hoped for, the conviction of things not, not seen. seen. Not seen. By faith, Abel didn't bother to offer a sacrifice. By faith, Noah didn't build a boat. Wait, wait, wait. I think you put words in there. Used to go. What's that? I think you put words in there. Did I did I did I did I misquote it? You yeah, I think you did. <laughs> Can somebody read us what Hebrews actually says about faith? The key phrase in Hebrews 11 is by faith, so-and-so did. So did. verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice. In verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death. In uh, verse seven, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events unseen and reverent fear, constructed an ark. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Uh, okay. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and so on and so forth. So let me suggest this. Biblical faith includes being faithful. Biblical faith includes being faithful. Let's remember that. Let's proceed. Define so, faithful, please. Faithful can mean one of two things. Faithful can mean other people rely on you or you are true to something. Like if you've got a horse and it is your faithful steed, you can rely on it. If your car is reliable, you put trust in it because it's reliable. We need to both put our trust in Jesus who paid for our sins and be reliable and serve him, all right? And we'll, we'll see a little bit more about that in a minute, but let's finish James 2 here. Um, so faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And then here's some sarcasm. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Did the demons believe that Jesus was the Christ? 
They had faith, yeah. yeah. So were they born again? Nope. No, no but they believed. Did the did some of the Pharisees in John 12, 42 believe that Jesus was the Christ? Mm-hmm. Were they willing to confess it and admit it before people? No. No, because they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. So their works didn't match what they were thinking. Are they going to be saved? This is James' point. An empty faith won't do anything. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, I really like I really like this chapter, especially when you when you put and that's what we're going to. So I don't want to get too far ahead. But when you put James two together with the things that Paul writes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think Stephen later is going to show that the two kind of reference points that they anchor in is in the life of Abraham and how the life of Abraham really overlaps that. But I really really like before we do that, just looking at how James's logic works here in verse eighteen. He, he said he has this scenario. Someone will say you have faith and I have works. So there's this guy that's saying, you can do your works, but I just have faith. I don't, I don't have works that save me. And so James says, okay, prove it, basically. Like, if you have faith, prove it without doing works. And the point is, you can't. You can't have faith and no works. Works are the manifestation of your faith, which is the point that he'll make later on in this chapter with Abraham, that Abraham's faith and works were working together, and his faith was completed by his works. Yeah, and in fact, if you will look at the book of Romans, which talks a lot about faith, the very first mention of faith and the very last mention of faith in the book of Romans are in this phrase, the obedience of faith. When Paul's talking about faith, he's talking about trusting in Jesus. He's not talking about you don't need to obey. Let's keep reading. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is what? useless. Was not Abraham, and in a minute after we finish this text, uh, Stephen is going to talk to us about Abraham. Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son upon the altar? Was that a work of merit or an act of faith? faith. He said, by faith, he offered up Isaac. You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works. <clears throat> and the scripture was fulfilled. And by the way, even Ephesians 2 says what? By grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, uh, not of works, lest you should glory. It's of God. It's a gift of God. But then it says in verse 10, you're created in Christ Jesus for good works. All right? This is completed by works. The scripture was fulfilled saying Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as, as righteousness. quoting from Genesis 15. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It can't be a barren, empty faith. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers sent them out another way. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. I want to make two points and we're going to go over to Stephen for that Abraham analysis. Number one, What does Jesus say about people that believe but don't obey? They aren't going to receive eternal life back in Matthew 25. Yeah, and also Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, goes into the kingdom of heaven. Only who? Those that do the will of the Father. Yeah, yeah. And in Romans 6, what does Paul say about people 
that even if they have faith and say, oh, I've been saved by grace, so then they don't need to obey. What does Paul say about them? They're a slave to sin. And they're, the sin, instead of leading to eternal life, it's going to lead to what? Death. Death. So it's different words. Paul, James' justification here, we are not te legally, technically, redemptively justified by works, but in a practical application sense, when the goat gets to the day of judgment and he refused to give any food or clothing to his cold, starving brother, as a practical reality, what is the verdict on his day of judgment? Guilty. He will not be justified. Paul's talking about the redemption. James isn't talking about redemption. Um, all right, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, just to illustrate this, I mean, both Paul in the book of Romans, particularly chapter four, um, he also quote this passage about Abraham in Galatians three, and now James in chapter two. It's just really practical to look at the life of Abraham, and because it's interesting that both Paul and James look to Abraham as the as the example here. In Romans four, Paul uses Abraham as an example in talking about being justified by faith and not being justified by works. And this was particularly relevant to his audience because part of who he's addressing in this section is the Jews who really believe that by keeping the law, keeping the law, keeping the law, that's how they're going to be justified. And this was becoming a wedge between them and the Gentiles who were not observant Jews and keeping the, the law of Moses the same way that they were. And so he's saying, Jews, you've missed it. You're, you're not acting like Abraham because Abraham was justified by faith. And he points out this is even before Abraham was circumcised, which is one of the big things that they emphasized. And so he goes through in Romans 4 and says in um, verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And he quotes here from Genesis 15, verse 6. Uh, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is amazing. So this is a moment in Abraham's life. If you go back and read Genesis 15, this is a moment when God takes Abraham outside. He's an old man. Sarah is barren. They don't have any of their own children. And he takes him out at the night. And he says, look up at the stars. He says, that's how many kids you're going to have. And Abraham had no earthly reason to believe God as far as like anything that he could look at or touch and say, okay, here's, here's how I know it's going to happen. But he believed God. And God said, okay, I'm going to count you righteous because you trusted in me. Now, here's the thing. Abraham had already been obeying God up to this point. This is after God came to Abraham and said, hey, I want you to leave your family and everything you've known and go to a place that, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to, I'll show you when you get there. And, and he went out. He didn't know where he was going. He's already been actively obeying God. And, and then a little later on, God comes to him and says, I want you to believe in something else that you don't see yet. And Abraham believes God. And God says, all right, you're righteous before me. But what's interesting about James, if we come back to James 2, is James quotes that same passage from Genesis 15, but he quotes it about something that happens even later 
in Abraham's life. After Isaac is born, you know, after, you know, the impossible has happened, God allows this child to be born to an, an old man and a barren woman. They have the child and then God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your only son whom you love and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. And Abraham trusted God, but he didn't just trust God. He went three days to the place where God told him to go in the mountains of Moriah. And he put his son on the altar and he took the knife to, to kill his son. Now God stopped him at that moment. He didn't have him go through with it, but he said, now I know that you fear me. Abraham's faith was shown in his obedience and the way James puts it is in James 2, it says, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's so fascinating to me that it says in that moment when Abraham's got the knife in his hand and he's about to, about to kill his son, it says that is when Genesis 15, 6 was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That same passage that Paul says, see, look, it's faith, not works. James says it's faith and works. And if you were to just ask Abraham, if you were to go to Abraham and say, hey, Abraham, you were justified by faith in God. That's what it says about you. You believed God and God did it. So we don't have to obey God, right? What would Abraham say to that? I mean, I've got to obey God. He, he'd just laugh at you. He'd be like, my whole life is one of obedience to God. What do you mean? Like, I didn't have to leave my home. I didn't have to offer my son. I didn't have to do any of it. Like, no, he was a man who walked by faith. But if you came to Abraham and on the flip side said, Abraham, hey, it says you're justified by works here in the book of James. Like, so you earned it, right? Like, you, you're the reason. Like, all, your, your obedience was what earned you all this favor with God, right? Abraham would also laugh at you and say, no, this is God's mercy. Like, I did. I acted in obedience to God, but he's the one who blessed me. He's the one who made these promises. This is all from God. All, I couldn't have even had a son if God didn't bless me. Our original question came from Galatians. I just want to mention this right here, right here where he's saying, you don't, you Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised, et cetera, et cetera. Circumcision doesn't matter. You know what does? He says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but what? Faith working through love. And so Paul's teaching of a faithful faith, the obedience faith, he's talking about a faithful faith, but that's not where redemption is. James isn't focusing on redemption. He's looking more at the teachings of Jesus and reminding us of what we have to do. And in a practical, consequential sense, without works, it won't be there. Let's, but that's not where redemption is. That doesn't pay for our sins. Let's, uh, let's put these charts up here real quick. I think this will be helpful. Um, While you're saying that, I'll just make yeah. a, a point about Abraham's obedience there. Abraham, even if he had, if God had had him go through with sacrificing his son, Isaac, that would not have forgiven Abraham's sins. Right. But it is God going through 
with the sacrifice of his son that forgives our sins. In fact, in Romans 4, where it says it's not by works, it said, because then it would be as of a debt, not of grace. So let's go back to our unmerciful servant. He loses salvation because he won't have mercy on the guy that owes him 100 denarii, right? You know, he gets thrown to the torturers, his forgiveness is taken away. If he had forgiven that other guy, would that have earned, merited, or deserved him being forgiven 20,000 years worth of labor? No way. No, you're still owed it. No, it's not like, it's not like, oh, look, God, I obeyed. I deserve eternal life. No, you don't get that by works. But if we were, if we so disrespect the Lord and Savior who gave us this great grace that we won't emulate and follow him, then he takes it away. All right, so Ephesians 2, by grace have you been saved. That's where the sins are paid for. Faith doesn't pay for sin. Faith trusts in the one that pays for sin. It's grace. That's where the atonement is, the blood of the cross. By grace you've been saved through faith. And it, this is not your own doing. We weren't nailed to cross. He, we didn't die for Jesus. He died for us. So we got no room to boast. But we are created for good works. Here's something interesting. I think we got time to get this through. How many minutes I got, Drew? You got four. Uh, just under four. All right. So Three. I'm going to quick here. Our works do not redeem it. Our works do not redeem us. They do not save us. We've looked at these passages. Having sinned, our works condemn us. Romans 3 points out works in law, works of law, law shows where we've sinned. It doesn't pay for our sins. So who can be saved? We've looked at this. With man, it's impossible. It, by grace, it's Jesus that saves the people from their sins. But look, Jesus is the Savior who died for sinners and saves us by his grace. But he's also the Lord who has the right to lead us and must be obeyed. Not every, Matthew 7, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, goes into king heaven, only those that do his will. Hebrews 5, 9, he's the Savior to those that obey him. Two different roles. Both must be respected. And when people start thinking that our work's not saving us, mean we don't need to obey, they need to read the rest of the epistles. All of these epistles end up saying that if you're disobedient, you will be lost in all of them. And look at this. Works. We are not saved by works, but what does John say? We're going to be judged by our works. What does Peter say? Judged by our works. What does Paul say? Judged by our works. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 25 about whether or not you fed or clothed? That's judgment by works. Well, why does this say not by works and this say by works? Well, this is two different things. These things don't redeem us, but we're going to be judged by it. Without grace, without the blood of Christ, we couldn't survive judgment by works. Imagine if the four of us went and stood before God and all of our evil deeds were still on us, not forgiven by the blood of Christ. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah. Terrible trouble. Touched by our works, and the verdict would obviously be what? Guilty. Condemned. But because we're saved by grace and walking in the light with him, and if we sin, we, we can have forgiveness through his blood, but we're walking in good works in light with him, now we can survive being judged by works because the evil works are gone through the blood of Christ. 
So biblical faith, is it a faith-only faith or a faithful faith? And we've already seen. If you just say, sorry, be warmed and filled, you're a goat. You're like the demon. You believe, but it's, it's, it's not going to do any good. Jesus said, you know, those are going to go into the lake of fire. We have to do those things. John 12, here's these rulers. Did they believe? Yes. Were they willing to stand up for Jesus? No. Are they saved? No. Biblical faith doesn't stop at faith only. Biblical faith is a faithful faith, as we saw in Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. When? After they went around in seven days following the command of the Lord. Oh, so it fell by their works. No, they believed the Lord. They trusted in him. Yeah. Was it that they were such good stompers that the walls just couldn't handle the vibration of their feet? No. It was a miracle of God. It was the grace of God. They couldn't have done that with their feet. It was by the grace of God. But it happened by faith. When God told them to go march around that city, what did they do? They marched. March. Do you suppose anybody might have thought they looked silly and made fun of them? <laughs> kind of like in the old the French guys in the old Monty Python movie, you know. Are you mean uh, veggie tales? Yeah, <laughs> okay, there you go. They're they're marching around, and then the walls fell by faith. But when they did what God they said, they completed their obedience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obedience doesn't mean it's not by faith. How did the walls fall? By faith in the power of God or by Israel's own work and power? The power of God. When did it fall? At the point of faith alone? As soon as Joshua said, okay, go do it, did they say, well, I believe the walls are down. We don't need to go. No, no it happened after they had submitted in faith. Real quickly here, I'll we don't have time to go all through this, but let me at least throw it up here. The mean, yeah, we're past the time. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go ahead. Go, no, it's okay. It's okay. Go ahead. Take a few seconds to throw this up here. I, and let me illustrate what I mean by means and condition. There's a light above me. That's not powered by my own works. Lowe's has a flashlight that you can crank it like this, and it doesn't need batteries because it's your own muscle power. Okay. That's by works. This light above me, it's coming from a power plant somewhere. I'm producing zero of the power. But you know what I had to do? I had to flip the switch. I had to decide I was tired of being in darkness and I want to be in light and, and flip the switch. Was it that I was such a good flip switcher, the power came on? No, but I did need to meet the conditions. So look at here, John 3.16, what's the means? Jesus, what's the condition? Believing, what's the result? Not perish. In Hebrews 5, it's Christ is the means. The result is salvation for those that do what? Obey. Christ is the author of salvation to those that obey him. obey him. The God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation to those that believe. By grace have you been saved through by his not by works done in righteousness works don't belong in this column not by works done in righteousness but by his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration 
uh, which Luther and Calvin and, and Paul understood as baptism. Uh, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, we'll be cleansed by his blood. And 1 John 1, 9, a person in Christ, if they will confess their sins, they will be forgiven by that blood. And Colossians 1, if we continue in the faith, we will be presented without blemish through his death. So questions here, how much does the red column pay for our, how much of our sins are paid for by the red column? Every one of them. 100%. Does anything in the next column pay for our sins? Not a one of them. But are they all necessary? Yes. Yes. That's not the payment for the sin. And can I go into the first column and say, let me see, I want Jesus, but I don't want the blood. Is that how it works? No. How about if I go into the second column, I say, you know, I want to do that believing part, but I don't want to do that obeying part or the getting washed or the, I don't want to do those things. Is that going to work? No. Why would anyone want to do that? Yeah, yeah. That's just like saying, yeah, I want to be saved, but I don't want to be forgiven. That's not how it works. So biblical faith, repents biblical faith confesses the lord biblical faith is baptized biblical faith follows him and we're out of time but i'd encourage you to think about some things like this when naaman dipped in water was he saved by his works or by the grace of god by grace of god yes when did he get cleansed when he did what god told him to do i'm sorry i timed it poorly and got to the charts too late and ran us over time sorry about that folks yeah, that's all right. And one last comment with Patrick said uh, in Hebrews 5, 9, we must obey to receive salvation, but that doesn't make us the source of our salvation. Jesus is always the source. And I think that's a really good point. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you, um, Eva, for that question. Uh, thank you guys for discussing today and for our audience participating, uh, asking different things and giving us comments and thoughts. Uh, if you have any more questions or comments or anything you want to discuss on this topic or any other topic, you can submit those to BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to spend our time talking about those on our next show. Um, but with that, we'll be finished for this week, and Lord willing, we'll see you all next Tuesday.